everybody. This is episode 12 now of Alto Sports Performance Insights. Daniel, it's great to see you again. Yeah, likewise. Uh, this week, we are extremely pleased to be joined by Dr. Michael Casali. He is the Chief Science Officer at Striver Labs. Uh, Dr. Casali, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Um, so Striver Labs is uh, a really exciting uh, virtual reality company, and they do a lot of work in a lot of different areas. But today, we're going to focus largely on the applications in football, as um, we at Alto continue to focus on football here in the month of, of January. Just kind of, can you provide us a little bit of background and, and where Striver came from and, and how the company as a whole was developed? Yeah, kind of an interesting story, at least from my perspective. Um, so it kind of started for me anyway, uh, a long time ago, back when I was doing some PhD work. Um, I, so I'm, a, I'm trained as a cognitive psychologist, experimental psychologist. So a lot of my work was kind of brain and behavior and brain basis of learning. A gentleman who worked across the hall from me in the same uh, building, who I actually kind of knew through uh, going surfing with him uh, when I was at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Um, uh, he was actually working with virtual reality and kind of pioneering the academic research then. And of course, back then it was really clunky, very much not usable. You see the headsets now and the form factor, it's come a long way. Uh, okay, so fast forward, you know, years later, he and I are still friends. He's now a professor at Stanford. Um, and he works kind of studying human uh, virtual communication. And so he had a master's thesis student who was also an assistant uh, on the football team and who was a former Stanford football player himself. He was a kicker, um, but he was really interested at some point in using virtual reality technology uh, to train athletes, in particular quarterbacks uh, for American football. Kind of a no-brainer for me. He and I, my friend uh, Jeremy, who's a Stanford professor, had been talking about that actually for a few years prior, as he was approached by a few GMs in the NFL at the time to say, "Hey, can you use this to make my quarterback better?" Kind of thing. And he's like, "Actually, maybe." Uh, but anyway, when his thesis student wanted to do this as an actual uh, research project, he contacted me because you know not only did we have like a long-standing friendship, but the idea was, you know, he's like, "Well, I don't know about." learning behavior as much and I don't know anything about sports and you know about both so do you mind helping me co-advise on this thesis project and that was that student was Derek Belch who along with Jeremy were the co-founders of Striver so basically taking that research project we actually ran with the Stanford quarterbacks at the time this was Kevin Hogan and a couple of his backups um, Keller Chris was one of them and, and some other um, Ryan Burns I think was the, was the other one so these are all guys I think Kevin may even be in the NFL still um, but anyway, the idea was, can they learn plays better? Can they actually get in the headset? And because they're able, they're kind of actively making decisions versus, you know, chalkboard or clipboard and, and X's and O's, is that a better way to learn? Because remember, like as a quarterback, you're having to kind of do the mental gymnastics of X's and O's. How does that translate on the field? If you're an expert like a Peyton Manning, I don't think it's, it's trivial. But for guys who are just up and coming, could be a really good way to do this, and especially for backups who aren't getting that exposure and getting those reps. So to me, this was like, yeah, let's absolutely do this. And I was excited to help co-advise on a thesis project, uh, which again, kind of like after that became the genesis of the company. So he came to me some months later and said, hey, I'm, I'm, we're, we're doing a, we're creating a company now. You want to come join? And I was like, well, I have no idea what this is going to turn into. So I wasn't fully committed. Uh, at the time, but I did actually commit to, you know, helping, you know, just whatever I could consultatively 
thinking about methodologies they could use to train given the learning science and also kind of new data and analytics, uh, which hopefully we'll get into a little bit, which is like, to me, one of the really critical and important things about what this technology provides is these new behavioral insights. So you can really understand better what a quarterback knows. And then we saw, you know, kind of the work with the NFL and college teams really blossom from there. So over that first year, we went from Stanford to, I think, over a dozen college teams, wow. uh, Mahomes and, and, and Texas Tech, where those guys were using it, uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, and then, of course, you know, proliferating the NFL. Um, you know, we have teams, the, the Chicago Bears, Minnesota Vikings, um, and others uh, have been really kind of regular. Carson Palmer was really our biggest advocate in the beginning. So it really kind of found its way uh, into, the, into the kind of quarterback network. And then from there, of course, it even expanded out to other like positions, the linebacker, right? How do you kind of recognize offensive alignments? And then you can let it play out. Um, so those are kind of really other interesting use cases. We found an interesting use case with kickers kind of doing the mental rehearsal oh, yeah. right? deal with the pressure of having to do the big kick and kind of visualization. So, and then from there, even expanded outside of football. So then we started working with NFL or NBA teams, um, hockey teams as well. So, uh, men's U S ski team, like we found all these kind of interesting applications where it was really important to get that simulation, as you guys know that VR technology can be really powerful in putting you in that scene and really letting you see kind of what the environment is like, what the pressure is like, um, getting the same visual information from that first person perspective, which is so critical for learning. And so that we're in year five and things are going really well. Sports is still a part of our, uh, you know, kind of life, let's, uh, it'll always be there. It's kind of part of our like lifeblood as a company, but um, but we've expanded even to kind of like other applications outside of athletics and sport into even kind of doing employee kind of retail uh, training, customer service, et cetera. So anytime it's that important to get that simulation, we're finding the same learning principles, really facilitating better performance uh, for any kind of any kind of learning or training need. Yeah, I mean, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And like it's one thing just to, you know, see the plays or read them read them in the playbook but we always hear about i mean anytime i feel like a backup quarterback comes in you always hear the commentators talking about oh i wonder how many first team reps he got this week and the reality is like those, there's a finite number of those repetitions unless you can make more of them right unless you can have an alternative way of of creating those repetitions so that's, that's really cool it makes a lot of sense yeah i think uh i mean all of that's amazing i i love that you're pushing outside of sports too uh, and, and finding very similar things. Uh, I guess I've, I've got kind of a basic question. So it sounds like this technology is being used more for simulation rather than like augmented reality, reality, right? So it's not like you're providing, I guess maybe you are. So could you just explain like, what's the difference between simulating game-like experiences versus post hoc, just providing the athlete with data about how they did something? It's a great question. I think you're also tapping into another really good question, which is, you know, do you, is, is simulation, is that, a, that, is that, you know, the best we can do and not to say that it's not really good because to the earlier point Chris made, good luck getting 22 guys on a field to get all those extra reps for the backup, right? Like <laughs> that's, that's where this comes in. So even simulation is helpful, but the question is, can we do more? I do want to come back to that because I think the answer is absolutely. And you're seeing that happen with other technologies now. But going to the question about data, so kind of branching that direction, 
after the fact, you're able to kind of sit down with the quarterback. So one of the more interesting use cases that I got to observe, uh, so I was born and raised in Chicago in the Chicago area. So I'm trying to be a Bears fan. And, um, and you know, when they got their current quarterback, uh, Trubisky, he was, you know, someone who was young, talented, still is, uh, needed, you know, obviously to get those mental reps. And so one thing the um, offensive coordinator, I think the quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator at the time would do them every week. I think it was on Fridays, at least the first, I think it was the first or second year he was there. And I got to actually hang out at Hallis Hall and see this happen was they, they would sit down with Mitch and he would get in the headset. Now, one of the things we're very close to kind of putting out there as a product feature is so that you can both get in the headset and see the same things at the same time, right? So if you think about like a coach facilitating but second best to that, which we can do relatively easily, is to have Mitch in the headset. And the coach can sit there right next to him and see what he's seeing on the screen, right? And so what he's able to do is, as they're kind of cranking through plays, because uh, these are all kind of things that would be filmed, right, in 360, just asking him questions on the fly. Hey, what about this? What about this? What do you do here? And he can see, is Mitch looking as he has, so it's not just a response about what to do in a classroom with X's and O's, which is typically the quarterback session. It's now, are right, you're on the field. Let me see if you know what, and then that, that could help him inform like what plays to dial up on Sunday and more importantly, what plays not to dial up, which plays he's comfortable with. Um, so that's one form of data that you can actually capture almost real time. And that's a little bit more anecdotal and qualitative, but there's a lot of quantitative data too that can be captured. Now, this is where we get into like, this idea of like how data-driven are coaches and, and do they trust their gut more than the data? And, you know, as a, as a company selling a product, uh, we haven't found as much interest, although I would say it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing. Like if, if, we, if we built it out better and made it more palatable to kind of digest the data, would they be using it more? Oh, good open question, but we haven't heard the demand for the data, but we believe, for example, what we see in the enterprise space, so not the sports space, but, is people really do want to know like what behaviors people were engaging in when they're in the simulation that you cannot get, even when you're observing them on the field, because there's no sense. Well, that's not true anymore. There's some sensors recording them now uh, to get more objective, but like nothing about kind of like the micro gestures and the micro behaviors, which you know are really important. Where were their eyes looking right before the ball was snapped? Did they focus on the mic? Did they actually check out? Like did they, or check down, did they actually go and, and audible like they should have, uh, were they hesitant in doing so? You can get all of that information now in a systematic, reliable, uh, objective way. And you through the headset, like it's amazing, right? So you can, the, the real-time decision-making is there. So it's not just the gross, did you do the thing or did you not do the thing? How did you do? What were the decisions made up until that point you kind of decided to release the ball? You can't get that on the practice field at least easily now you can get that in vr so all the decision making component all those kind of like cognitive components that's something that you can absolutely collect we think is absolutely important for performance and you could hypothetically sit down in a review phase with a quarterback we just haven't seen that kind of demand from the teams and so we haven't responded in kind that doesn't say we shouldn't go build it or someone shouldn't go build that i think that could be incredibly powerful but it's like, it's like everything at some point, even though the data is useful and it exists, I worked in the kind of behavioral health space. So healthcare is like this, education's like this, like just because you have a good thing that works doesn't mean it's gonna be used and adopted. So there's a whole other section about like cultural shifts and adoption. And we've seen it in baseball. 
we haven't actually developed that product use case, but we absolutely believe that it's would be really useful if that's a if that's a helpful answer to the question about kind of how data could be used or will be used. Yeah, it, it is for sure. And part of uh, you talk about cultural changes, and I think one of the things um, that I that I could see coming, I think virtual reality is is one area similar to a lot of the biomechanics work and motion capture work where there's this whole entertainment industry driving very similar technology growth as sports science. Okay, so we saw this with the animation and Hollywood driving, you know, uh, motion capture technology to get better and cheaper. And we're seeing the same things with, you know, Oculus and, and um, Unity and a lot of the software components that go into virtual reality. And, and as a part of that, the cost has gone down and the availability has gone up. Um, when we, when I was doing my PhD at East Carolina, we got a couple of, of virtual reality headsets and all of a sudden they were the coolest pieces of technology in the room, even though we had bought them at Best Buy for 400 bucks, we were in a, a lab with multi-million dollars worth of equipment. And so I guess my, my question coming out of that is, you've talked a lot about collegiate and upper level collegiate and professional teams using this. Do you, are you starting to see any interest or um, hear anything about younger athletes starting to seek out this kind of information, this kind of training as they get more exposed to it just from gaming? And, and how do you think that might lead to a culture change in the sport as a whole? Yeah, that's interesting. I probably haven't kept as much like good tabs on that space um, in terms of like youth development. We did I, I go down this path with a, like, so IMG Academy is big, you know, um, kind of high school that's well reputed in kind of the football space. They produce a lot of NFL athletes. Uh, and so their football program is quite sophisticated. So at some point they were really interested in using this technology. Um, I think, I, I honestly, I, my impression is it kind of sells itself. I think gaming probably facilitates it. I think once you can kind of see, like just being able to read formations quickly and knowing how to like counter those formations. And you can do that with a lot of gaming mechanics right now, of course, like, uh, like, uh, like the Madden game is you know, right. an intelligent engine that allows for that. I think those things definitely will kind of allow for and facilitate like, you know, using these technologies. And I think that's just kind of over time, you just see that like the every generation, the younger folks are just more interested in kind of, because they see what the technology, I think this is your point, can do in other domains. And so like, they're much more easily able to connect the dots. I think, you know, even going back to personal computers, right? And like businesses, what, a, what would a, seems like a kind of a indulgence to have a personal computer, I couldn't really help me. And then you start kind of getting these people who are like, well, I can do this on this computer. What about if I could do this other thing too? And then there's a new software requirement. There's someone that's gonna go start a company based on someone deciding they wanna put all of these piles of spreadsheets into a piece of software, right? So like there's <laughs> there's like all, like things that just are like, yeah, I'm. it's okay doing it the way we're doing it. It's working enough until someone ups the ante, until someone decides like to go out on a limb. And, and that's kind of, and to your point, I think that only happens by seeing things and other kind of use cases. So I wouldn't say that I've seen that directly, that demand, but I, I would assume that that's gonna drive a lot of the kind of adoption in the future. And, and we and look, we see that not, not kind of like, I don't wanna say that that's like a tried and true 100% of the time uh, way that we can predict who's gonna be into it, who's not just like generation, but more, by and large, it's the, 
it's the Cliff Clingsberries, it's the Sean McVeighs who are more into this technology, it's the Nagy's, and not so much, you know, the folks, the John Foxes maybe, who are going to be inclined to, to use this. So, um, and not to call those guys out by, you know, specifically, but just for, for what we're doing in our technology, that's kind of seems to kind of ring true for the most part. But of course, there's always exceptions. There's always guys who are, you know, despite how, how long they've been in the game, are always going to be a little bit more forward thinking. And honestly, it's strip quarterbacks too, like guys who've been around, uh, you know, in the professional sphere for years as a quarterback, um, you know, are like, look, I have a way to do it. And they're successful because if they're not, they wouldn't have made it that long, right, in the league. So, uh, so it's also, you know, typically the younger guys, it's the backup, the guys who are backups, you know, all that. So I, it's an interesting question about how these technologies kind of facilitate uh, kind of different use cases for each other, gaming into VR, that kind of thing. I think it's a thing, I can't speak to it directly, but it makes a lot of sense that that's how, um, how the adoption is gonna help or how, how that adoption is gonna be facilitated. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we, Chris and I have talked about this a lot. Um, it's, it's like, especially the younger players coming up, if they're introduced to it at a very young age, they're just gonna expect it going forward. And it's, it's just gonna shift everything. Uh, it's interesting too to see even at the pro level some of the first guys to adopt new things get a hard time sometimes you know first guy through the wall always gets hit kind of thing yeah and that's right and i think that's for us it's it was really important to have you know well-established guys so i, I think i mentioned um, i'm not sure if i mentioned to you guys already but um you know carson palmer who was an established quarterback at the time you know good reputation was a big advocate for us and that was a big that was big, right? Instead of like, here's the backup just out of college advocating for us and no one knows if he's even going to make it. So, Yeah, that's true. And well, I think one of the other areas that maybe we haven't touched on here. So you talk a lot about sports performance and preparation. One of the things in football is, is it's a violent sport. Um, let's, call, let's just call it what it is. And, and you talk about like early adopters and so forth. And one of the things like you have the Dartmouth football team who for 10 years hasn't tackled in practice. Right. And they use, they use these tackling dummies. Well, they, they haven't tackled each other in practice. They still practice tackling, but not each yeah. other. Um, many people think about, you know, sports science, really, you, know, you have injury prevention or, or risk reduction, and you have, you have sports performance. Where do you think a technology like Striver or virtual reality falls on that? Because at the end of the day, like you said, like you're also limiting the number of reps in practice. How does that, how does that play a role there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great question. Um, and I, obviously, this is speculative. I think one question, you know, that would need to be answered would would be kind of to what extent does that does all of the simulation, including the hitting the, the kind of full contact, because even in practice, right, like quarterbacks aren't allowed to be touched a lot of the times in the way that they can be in a game. Um, and so those the questions are like, does that matter for their performance ultimately? So I think and I want to be clear, like what I think VR, the current state of the technology, what VR can can do is really train a lot of the critical decision making skills um, that happen kind of that can be that can be trained in isolation. And so this is like reading formations is a big one, right? If you're just kind of seeing video of that top down third person perspective, it's not the same. And we know that from just a kind of neuroscience perspective and the neuroscience of learning that like seeing that from the first person perspective, knowing kind of how to shift your field of view, et cetera, incredibly different. And it's really important to get that exposure. Actually having the game kind of play out in real time so that you can see 
people, their players moving in the same way. And again, with the same spatial relationships to you, ideally you can get chased down by a backer like you could in practice. We're not quite there yet, at least with scalable things like six degrees of freedom so that when you're moving and the guy can adjust to you intelligently, that will come, um, I'm convinced. So it's in a realistic way, it can happen in kind of gaming engines now, but not that looks super realistic. Um, but then the question is, okay, what if you don't have a real fear of getting hit? Like, is that alter things at all? Is that alter your decision? And, and it's possible. And so I don't want to make it seem like what we're able to do or what other uh, kind of, you know, what, what this technology empowers others to do is, you know, completely simulate. I think we fall short of some of those things that will be important, but I think we can get enough of it so that you're still providing a lot of benefit in the absence of doing nothing. And, and now let's take the other case, which is, maybe what you're applying or alluding to, which is, okay, what if you can kind of run those simulations and then kind of before you were kind of having guys smash up against each other on the front, like just take the linemen. How critical is it for a quarterback to learn to have the linemen colliding into each other every single time? Probably not very critical. Right. And so if you can avoid that. If you can avoid kind of what I would call, and I don't know the right way to say this off the top of my head to kind of non-essential training to train kind of contact. So contact that doesn't help training, like the linemen colliding. I think if you take that out of, cause that's all we're doing is we're repeating that. That happened once we captured it. And now you can kind of replay that as many times as you need to and still get with the, from the quarterback perspective, everything you need. And so I think it does help to reduce that a lot. And that's a huge component of then kind of how we're able to help maybe reduce or others can help reduce those per, like injuries that don't need to happen. And we can think of like, even if a acute injury doesn't happen on the spot, we know those collisions add up over time to your point about a violent sport. So, um, so I think in that way, it could be incredibly useful uh, for, for that kind of injury prevention. Right, so just, just because the quarterback missed his read doesn't mean we need to have 11 guys go through an entire next repetition. Yeah. And certainly there, there's importance in doing some repetitions, but you know, kind of the whole, not making the whole team do a sprint because one guy messed up. There you go. <laughs> somewhat, somewhat similar, but in this case, it's it's worse than a sprint, right? It's right. A, it is. A, it's another kind of collision where the the heads are colliding, kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, for sure. There's so many interesting things that you just said. Um, like right. I just would completely overlook, like the fear of getting hit probably alters decision making, right? So that's an important thing to try to capture. And how do you capture something like that in virtual reality? It's a uh, that's something I didn't even think about. <laughs> so. Yeah, and not to say that, you know, it's not a it's not necessarily binary. Like if you don't have it fully, you're not getting the benefit. I still think you can create pressure scenarios. And I think we're gonna find out all the different cool ways people are gonna like once you start to democratizing the technology, as you guys were mentioning earlier, you're gonna see people do some really interesting things. I think we're already kind of getting there. Um, but again, I you know, at some point, like, can you ever really you know, replicate fully the benefit of a, of a, of a game. And I probably not, but that's okay because we're still doing things that are very useful in a way that kind of go above and beyond what we think kind of currently happens in practice. But, um, and, you know, there's probably also kind of like just fear training itself that can happen that, you know, if we think about like things like mindfulness and focusing, like sure, you're going to get hit, but like, uh, you know, how can we have you kind of focus and kind of train you to kind of tune that out knowing that like yeah hits are going to happen 
and to kind of reduce that fear response to facilitate that decision making. So yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's an interesting thing that's not well explored, but certainly uh, this is a this is a technology that can help us answer some of those questions. Emma, I'm imagining a future where uh, visors are basically acting like Google Glass during a game, and they're like almost like auto autonomic cars now, where they're like someone, a player's coming up on your left and the square pops up and it's just tracking him. It's telling you what the speed is and <laughs> the best route to take. I'm, it, it's uh, We're probably far from that, but it'd be pretty cool. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say we're far from that. The NFL, I don't know how long ago it was, but I remember, I remember watching these little YouTube videos put out NFL 2020. And it was all these crazy ideas of what technology might look like in the game. Sensors in the ball to detect when it, you know, went in the end zone and so forth. And one of the things was like a fully encased face mask, the entire team's talking to each other. Uh, and then things like, you know, which route to run and it was showing you the plays and so forth. And it's just interesting, like we're not there and, and maybe intentionally not there with some of those things that are on the field in the game. But at the same point, like we are doing a lot of really cool technology things like simulating repetitions. Um, and so it is just interesting to see how, how the science has progressed. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, anything you guys can imagine, it seems like is definitely in the world of possible. I'd be curious to know, like at some point, obviously we, we kind of, the concern in, in, in kind of professional athletics is more around physical enhancement, but we're already starting to see some, like when it, even when it comes to taking Adderall, for example, like that can give someone a cognitive advantage. And so I think we're going to start seeing these kind of like cognitive advantages becoming a little bit more regulated over time if in fact we're starting to see the benefits we think they can provide um, because you know do we want to kind of make the you know kind of figuratively and literally make the playing field a little bit more level or do we want uh, to allow these guys to kind of just use the technology and kind of see how it goes and 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 I, I'd be curious to see like I guess time will tell how much of an advantage it actually brings before we have to really relegate them as or sorry, regulate them as, um, you know, as, as, in, as sports performance enhancing or not. Right. So performance enhancing drugs or performance enhancing technology. It's, it's, it's not as, I don't think it's as far off as we think. There's a lot of companies obviously who claim to do, and outside of like sports, you know, brain training, I think that they jump the gun, you know, and obviously have a little bit more of a business interest than actually providing real efficacious value but you know we're not we're not we're learning things at a pretty rapid pace about how to facilitate learning um and so i wouldn't be surprised to see that stuff make its way in but this is like you, you know there it's a really direct it's not this kind of general we're stimulating this part of your brain therefore it's like no this is the simulation that no one else has access to or other teams don't have access to and is that fair i'll be curious to see in the next few years if that's something that becomes more of an issue yeah, we're, th this debate is ongoing in the running world right now with new carbon fiber plate shoes, yeah. right? where it's like, I don't know. It's yeah, it's a it's a tough question. Um, and cycling, obviously, cycling's had issues with with performance enhancing drugs, but also the the technology on bikes now is insane compared to where it was two decades ago. So it's like, what's performance enhancing drugs bad? Uh, being able to test in a wind tunnel, good, like. <laughs> things like that are just uh it's an interesting balance but okay. we've got i want to make sure we get to um an audience question which sure. is going to require maybe you to make actually providing some definitions for what the audience member asked uh we have a, a close friend of ours wanted 
wanted us to ask you, uh, how do you, how do you find a balance between physical and perceptual fidelity, which, I, which will require you to define those things. Cause I, I'm not quite yeah. sure what they mean. Yeah. Uh, which, which one of those two things do you think leads to better performance gains? And then does that vary across sports? So it's three part question. Uh, <laughs> I'm fairly certain that those are the three questions he's doing his dissertation on. <laughs> Maybe you could provide some some insight on, into those things. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, obviously there's a lot to learn still, but um, in a lot of the stuff that we're doing is actually, you know, obviously inspired by what we know kind of to be true theoretically, but, you know, that's just to kind of, just a little preamble that I think is relevant to the question. There's a lot to learn about this technology still. Like, I think we know, like I said, broadly about, you know, how some of these neural mechanisms work and learning, but then we get into the specifics of the technology. And I think we're, we're learning a lot. Um, so a lot of the answers to these questions are, you know, based on what we know to be true theoretically, which is incomplete, but it's still not nothing. And then of course, there's still work to be done specifically around the research into kind of the VR uh, specific components in terms of how they facilitate um, learning uh, and training. So when we talk about physical and perceptual fidelity, I assume that physical really means being able to replicate uh, successfully the kind of actions that you would take in VR. So if that's anything from grabbing something, grabbing the football, okay, so now, you, now you're under center and it looks the same, perceptual fidelity, but it doesn't feel the same. I don't actually get the ball snapped to me. I don't have the ball in my hands. I don't throw the ball. Etc. So like, and, it, and, it, and, and I can do all that outside of VR, but it's not replicated in the environment, right? So that physical fidelity, I guess, isn't quite there. And it probably won't be there for a while. There's games you can kind of get, you can kind of move around and like press them and it opens a box kind of thing. So you're getting somewhat of the way there, but we're pretty far off. So perceptual fidelity is obviously something that's more tractable. And then the question is, what's more important? It depends on what you're trying to do. So I think for the things that we've decided to train in football. So again, reading formations, I think physical fidelity wouldn't hurt. Absolutely much more important to have the perceptual fidelity. If you had Madden, I mean, that's Madden, right? You're like, right. you're, you're moving the stick around and it's, and there's some there's some physical fidelity. Cause like, you're telling it where to go now do that in VR. You're running around, but if it looks like Madden and you're running around, the players are running like Madden players. How useful is that? because you don't get a lot of the same perceptual fidelity. So the timing is off. You're, you're, you're kind of training something. You're going to become really good at Madden. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to become good at football. And so when we acknowledge, and you know, there's the flip side of the coin, which is like the perceptual fidelity. You're not going to, we're not going to teach you to throw a football better. We may not even teach you the timing of throwing the football either, but we can tell you about, again, a lot of the things that have to do with reading formations and who's going to be open as from a, and I'm talking about quarterback perspective and those kind of cognitive elements that could then be paired with your ability to kind of get the ball out quick, et cetera. So we think we're facilitating it. We, we think it's obviously just part of the equation, uh, but we think we're at least facilitating part of the equation that don't, doesn't, conversation earlier, doesn't get a lot of exposure. So I think for quarterback positions, I would say perceptual fidelity for a defensive lineman where technique is critical I don't know. I don't, is, if they're not really, if, if reading plays and reading formations, which is a part of it, but let's just say it's not as important as a quarterback. And really they're just focusing on like their man they're lined up against and being able to kind of use a spin move or a swim move or whatever move 
then perceptual or physical fidelity is a lot more important for that training. And it's going to be hard for them to learn any of that in VR. And that's just has to do with the state of technology. Maybe sometime in the future you can do both and it doesn't have to be a trade-off. So that's where I would say kind of the trade-offs come in and kind of the question is what's better, again, the case dependency, to, even within football, you're talking about position dependency uh, for what's better. And I think there was a third part to that question. I don't know if I addressed it. Uh, I mean, it's probably very related to um, the answer about which is better. It's does this vary across sports? And again, it's probably super yeah. context dependent. Yeah. I would say, you know, maybe, maybe to get that physical um, fidelity, you need something more along the lines of um, augmented reality instead of virtual reality, right? Where, you know, you're getting some feedback from a headset or whatever it is, but you're actually still going through the physical uh, repetition on the field. That's a great point. And we're seeing that even in the enterprise situation. So this is the dissociation between the customers we typically work with where a lot of it's training the decision-making visually, you see something, what do you do, but don't actually kind of have to do it versus uh, I'm a play mechanic. I actually have to know how to like screw things in a certain way, et cetera. They're using augmented reality, a lot of those guys to help them exactly in the same way that you said, or real-time guidance for an electrician, someone, even, even AR where it's like, you just see what they see. Yeah. The, the augmentation really comes from someone in your earpiece because they can see what you see and guiding you verbally, uh, you know, and, and I think at some point those two worlds converge because you do want to have the ability to alter the environment. So like in that case, we were saying the lineman can benefit from AR, absolutely. But that also means you have to have other guys on the field, all the constraints, et cetera. What about if it's snowy out? What if, you know, if those things matter? Well, you can, you can change those environments. So the, as we see those two technologies converge in the one, the AR and VR, so you can kind of like continuously, as a continuously you know, variable thing, the environment, as a continuously variable thing, um, you know, the, the kind of guidance that you're providing them, et cetera. Like those, those two technologies, I think there's an inevitable convergence there because you want the power to do both. Yeah, and I, I think it also begs the question, going back to the, the physical versus perceptual fidelity, let's, let's just st- stick with the quarterback here. One of the things that often gets talked about is just like you only have so much mental space to be figuring something out or, and, and to be handling a task. If you can decrease the amount of work required to process the coverage, to process the blitz and, and make the right and know which pass to make, then even though maybe you didn't have the ability to train the physical fidelity or the physical realness as much you're in a better position to focus on that uh, you know because you've already been able to process all of the all of the other perceptual things much faster i don't know that's just an, an interesting, no, it's, interesting it's, an it's an excellent point i mean i think that's absolutely right and you, you think about that in terms of just like general kind of signal reduction or, or signal noise reduction right or, or increasing signal noise ratio which is you know, you're boosting what's important and you're kind of mitigating what's not important kind of like in your world. And you can even think about um, the example of riding a bike is a great example where that is absolutely true. If you can remember what it's like to first ride a bike, I kind of do because I learned late um, and it was very traumatic. But if you're learning to ride the bike and you're just like pedal here, wait, pedal here, oh shit, I got to be, you're not paying attention to cars. Right. <laughs> right. You're gonna do right into a car, right into a fence, and that's you know probably not too uncommon. Okay, now you're now you now you don't even think about it. It's pure muscle memory, right? right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And you're on a bike and you're paying attention to everything else now. This is exactly your description. That is how people learn. And that's how people learn these things that we're talking about. We want to make it so automatic that they can have the room to adjust, to work on the physical. So I think that's absolutely a great point that probably we don't, we don't talk about enough even when we talk about the values of VR when it comes to football players. So well, I'll take a little royalty on that one. <laughs> um, so as we as we kind of wrap up here today, one of the questions we, we love asking all of our guests is kind of where they see their field going in the future. You've talked a good bit about that already today. So I want to I want to focus and challenge you even a little bit more here. If you in, in one minute or less could just give us some insights of where you think the, the world of virtual reality in, in football training can go in the next 12 to 24 months. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, we're seeing a lot of the new, um, I mean, what's not, what's not spoken about broadly, forget about sports, just the world right now is the rapid pace of technological development in the VR world. Like we're seeing incredible things happen. And, you know, it's easy to kind of, you know, shit on VR at this point, because like, oh, well, look at consumer dot, we're finding great use cases, that technology is going to engender that even more and more. And so, one of the big things is having the six degrees of freedom that I alluded to earlier, which is like, I can now track you in space and I can represent that well in the virtual space. So I can get your body with high fidelity and the motions that you make, the interactions you have in the virtual world will play out consequently. So it's not just you sitting there and the world is happening to you. You are now an agent with agency in that world and you can kind of shape and shift the world the, the way that you kind of would want to, the way that's kind of how that would naturally play out. So now I take a snap. Now I now it's not about just sitting there and, and reading the play, et cetera. Now it's about like, I can make a decision and there's going to be a consequence for that decision. That's a huge step forward. Right. I also think the convergence with kind of AR types of technology so that you can see real time data being processed and guiding you in real time as well. I think that's another big one. And then other peripherals like eye tracking, we talk about monitoring your kind of brain signals and your micro sweats and all these things that we know kind of like, depending on emo like the emotion, we talk about putting people in stressful situations, being able to measure that accurately and then also train to that. So we get better signals of performance and then be able to adapt that training. So those are things like the, the kind of basically the measurement, the ability to interact with the environment. Uh, those, are, those are things I think are gonna be really big advances in the next 12 to 24 months. It's exciting. Um, can't wait to see what happens. Um, and, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more about you guys at Striver. Um, Dr. Casali, I really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, this is exciting work and um, good luck to the, to the Packers. And I'm sorry that you're a Browns fan. But hopefully, <laughs> hopefully uh, my Packers will keep going towards the Super Bowl here. Well, I got to pull from, they're the, they're, the, they're, the close, they're the closest in terms of geography. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll probably pull for Aaron Rodgers too. But well, yeah, happy to, happy, to, happy to chat with you guys. Excellent. Well, thank you everyone for, for tuning in this week. Um, as always, be sure to check us out at altosportsperformance.com and uh, follow us on, on Twitter and Instagram as well. Thank you both. Thanks thank so you much. Guys. Really appreciate it.